I'm Nat. And I'm Allie. And together we are Let's Get Haunted! On our show, no story is too challenging for us to investigate. We've gone on the dark web while looking into QAnon. We cold called a possible cult while looking into the Happy Valley Dream Survey. The number you have dialed is being investigated for unlawful use or other fraudulent activity. We've even interviewed a former CIA scientist. When I was read into the classified program, the psychic espionage program, there were rumors about what the government was up to, and I was given the briefing that's given to people who were read into the program. And that that blew my mind. And we've even scoured court records and social media to get firsthand eyewitness accounts. It's now was very long and pointy, but the nose at the end of it didn't look like a dog's. It looked like a human nose at the end of a long snout. Whether we're talking about cryptids, ghosts, aliens, or conspiracy theories, we always try to bring a new angle to stories you may have heard before. And some that you definitely haven't. We also tell you haunted stories from our own lives, like the time I stumbled upon a meth lab at work, or the time I hunted down a lady who stole my credit card and confronted her at a gas station about it. Or the time that I rescued a possum on the side of the freeway and we crowdsourced femur surgery to release him back into the wild. There's no time to explain. Subscribe to our show now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Bye! Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Well, hello everyone, and thank you for stopping by. If you're new to the program, I'm about to play for you a series of voicemails left on my paranormal hotline. Calls from everyday people like you and me, detailing true paranormal stories about ghosts, goblins, ghouls, monsters, and other unexplained phenomena. And for those of you that have been here before, welcome back. Now I have one hell of a show prepared for you this evening. So lock up, say your prayers, but above all else, turn up the volume. But before I welcome our first guest, it seems that terror comes in all shapes and sizes. For every eight-foot dog man or hulking Sasquatch, there's another, smaller, menacing creature out there to get you. Fey folk, the Dover Demon, Puck Wedgies, they all come to mind, as does a creature of Central and South American legend, the infamous Duende. Well, the Duende is an elf-like entity, a creature, if you will, uh, of Central American, South American, and Filipino folklore. Now, this creature is said to be about three feet tall. It looks like a weathered or haggard old man. Uh, beard, pointy hat. Big feet, big hands, big eyes, big nose, but like small bodies. Very troll-like. And they walk very peculiar because they have strange flat feet that seem to be backward. We see stories of duendes leading people astray, leading children into the woods. It's been reported that men would go missing while they're working either in farms or fields, only to be returned in a zombie-like state with no memory of who they are or where they came from. These are not just stories in a lot of cultures. I've actually had a lot of family members who have had encounters with Duende, so it's very real to us. Now you might recognize that voice. Well, then it's 
less casual form, of course. That's actually me talking on the Travel Channel program, Paranormal Caught on Camera, along with my fellow presenters, Susan Slaughter, Lynn McNeil, and Sapphire Sandalo. And that's Season 3, Episode 18, if you'd like to check the segment out. So now that we're familiar with what the Duende is and what it's potentially capable of, please allow me to introduce you to Dave from Utah, whom has a tale sure to induce copious amounts of stress for anyone that puts stock in this chilling legend. Hello, my name is Dave, and I'm from Utah, and I just wanted to call in after I heard something on the last podcast. So just to begin, I just kind of wanted to explain that I went on a mission, LDS uh, or Mormon mission, to the Southern American country of Colombia. And the way that Mormon missions work is you kind of sign up and then you are assigned what's called a companion. So you always go out in pairs. And these pairs change over time. Every month and a half, you have the opportunity that you can change who you're with. So you're not with the same person the entire two years you're out there. So I got to know quite a few people. And missionaries, since they are out there doing uh, spiritual work, they love to get together and talk about stories. And so last podcast I heard people were talking about duendes and that was the first time I heard about it was there was this one Bolivian missionary talking one of those nights that we all got together saying that his sister was put in a trance and almost walked off a cliff and he seemed kind of scared of the idea of a duende and that was the first time that I had heard of it I didn't know what to think of it but I still talked to quite a few of those people from that time and they're from a bunch of different countries a lot of the time and there was this one guy that I knew from another country I don't want to say exactly which country but he told me the story a couple months ago and it has just fascinated me uh, and he said that when he was a kid he was sleeping one night when this creature uh, dropped from this shelf uh, from this bookshelf that was next to his bed and he said that it didn't make any noise and it was a couple feet tall he said it had these overalls on that were very dirty, and it had the face of an old man, but the stature of a child, and it introduced itself. It said that it was a duende, and it did have a name, but my friend doesn't remember because he was a young kid, and the duende told him that only the pure people can see it, and that it wouldn't appear to the rest of the family, but it appeared to him, and they would hang out together in the backyard, and my friend just got to know it pretty well, and apparently this duende said that it wouldn't harm people, but it would pull tricks, it was kind of mischievous, it would kind of pull tricks on the family, move things around, but other than that, it was relatively harmless. Um, this duende did also say that there was, uh, under the ground, there was a whole society of these Duende, and that they had oceans, and this Duende invited my friend multiple times to go down, but my friend never wanted to. He just kind of avoided it. He would still hang out with this thing all the time, and there was this one time that this Duende gave him something to eat, and he said, eat this, you'll like it. And that night, uh, my friend said that he remembers that it was almost like he shrunk in his bed, and that he was swimming in his sheets, and he didn't like it, and he was there for a while, and when he woke up, he was regular-sized. And he didn't know what happened, he told the Duende that he didn't like it, uh, but the Duende didn't really seem to care. He said he didn't want to do it again, but over time, the Duende invited him to do it again, and the same thing happened. He went to bed, he felt like he was shrinking, he was swimming in his sheets. So he told the Duende that he didn't really want to hang out with it, and so they stopped hanging out so much. But when my friend turned 10, he said that he was hanging out with a couple of friends, and they were in the mountains, and they saw this cave with this entrance. And he knew that it was connected to the Duende. He just felt it really strongly. And so they decided to go in. So they had materials for a makeshift torch and they lit it and they went in. And there was a point where the torch just went out. And so they turned back. And my friend says that over time he kept seeing this cave every once in a while again but that it was less and less, and he would even see the Duende every once in a while. If he thought about the Duende more, or talked about the Duende more, then the Duende would appear, and he would see it. And so, he kind of saw it less over time, the cave and the Duende, and then when he was on his mission, which is about 21 age, uh, 19 to 21, 
He said that there was this one time where his companion saw the Duende in the house and it terrified his companion. And I've heard of this companion. This companion tended, he, he seemed to have weird spiritual experiences all the time. So I, it doesn't surprise me that he could see the Duende if only the peer can see it. And so they didn't even sleep there that night. His companion wanted to sleep somewhere else. And so my friend just kind of was used to this. He says he's not very scared of the Duende. So fast forward a few, he's back from his mission and he's about to get married and he went out for a bachelor party and they were out in the mountains and there was a point where he saw the cave again. This time he decided to go in again and since they were hiking they had flashlights so they were a bit better prepared and they went inside and at the same point in the cave before where the torch went out, the flashlights went out. And so they had to turn around again and he just couldn't stop thinking about this cave. He got married, he had a kid, and he kept thinking about it. So he wrote a note for his wife saying that he was going to go into this cave. He didn't say exactly why, but he said that he was gonna go in it and he didn't know what would happen to him. And before he could go, his wife actually found it and she got very upset with him. She said, what are you doing? You have a family. And so he decided not to go. But my friend told me that he feels like he'll still find the cave. He lives in the US now and he says that someday he thinks that he'll find it and he's going to go in. And he says that at that point, he thinks that that could be the last time that anyone sees him. He also told me that he doesn't tell too many people because they tend to look at him like he's crazy. So he just kind of keeps it to himself. But he has told a couple of family members and one of the sisters that he told was watching his daughter one day. And she did tell him that his daughter was also talking about seeing something very similar and that she also had an imaginary friend that looked just like the Duende. And so my friend is also worried about that. I don't know what to make of it. I find it very interesting. I asked him if after talking about it, if he had seen the Duende, and he said um, no, because he tries not to think about it, and when he doesn't think about it, it doesn't tend to appear before him. So yeah, I just wanted to leave that story because we talk a lot about what's around us and what's above us, but I don't hear too many stories of things underneath us, and I'm wondering if anyone else has any similar experiences, because he was very intimate with this thing. It was a very long time ago, so he doesn't remember things like its name, but I just find the entire thing fascinating. And the last story was about Duende uh, on the podcast, and I uh, wanted to talk about this. I've been wanting to submit the story for a while, and just that morning, I asked my friend if I could submit the story, and he said yes. He told me to let him know if, uh, if this ends up on the podcast so I can tell him and he can listen to it. But just later that day was when I heard the podcast about the Duende, and I thought, ah, got to submit this now. So uh, thank you for giving me a platform, Derek. Uh, this is really fun stuff to talk about and speculate about, and I find it absolutely fascinating. So thank you. Have a great one. Thanks, Dave. Now, we've certainly heard enough stories from folks seemingly led to their demise in the wilderness. The missing 411 files alone supply us with enough of these tales to keep even the most skeptical among us from trekking the backcountry. But could all these missing people be the result of a duende or some other mysterious creature? Where do these people that follow the duende end up? Do they survive? If not, how do they perish? Now I'm afraid most of my knowledge on this subject is surface level at best. But I'm not going to let that stop me from tossing in my two cents. You see, the paranormal caught on camera segment that I shared was in regards to a security camera video of some strange elf-like creature wearing a cloak or poncho. The mysterious critter is walking oddly down the center of a lonely, darkened street. And believe it or not, there have actually been a few Duende videos to go viral these past few years, all showing very similar things. A two to three foot tall, wobbly creature that appears as if it's humanoid in shape, and bipedal, meaning standing and walking on its hind legs. Now at first glance, these videos are quite spooky, but after reviewing the clip from that Paranormal Con Camera episode, I might have stumbled upon a logical explanation. The spotted skunk is famed for its offensive body odor. Bold markings warn that it carries a concealed weapon. If the skunk isn't shown respect, it ups the ante. 
hand standing exaggerates its size and shows off its markings. It's a dance of defiance. Boot stomping drives home the threat. If the message is missed, the skunk reveals its weapon. Like an aerosol, anal glands spray sulfurous chemicals through nozzles aimed at the eyes. They cause temporary blindness and nausea. Now that segment is courtesy of BBC. So what you can't see here is that the skunk is standing on its forelegs, its head level, parallel to the ground. But its tail and hindquarters are standing erect. Essentially, it's doing a handstand. Then awkwardly and eerily, it begins walking toward you. Now from a short distance, the outline of the animal looks near identical to what is seen in many of these videos. And yes, I checked. The spotted skunk does live in the western U.S., south into Mexico, and as far south as Costa Rica. Now, if you quickly Google handstand skunk or follow the show notes, you can see an example of this defensive posture. And take a look. From a distance, when you're spooked, does that look like a duende to you? Now, of course... This explanation can't dismiss every claim and certainly does nothing to debunk Dave's story, but could shine some light on the mysterious videos of this odd entity. Either way, thank you, Dave, for taking the time to share. I don't know. Which one would you rather encounter in a dark alley? Bigfoot or the Duende? Well, who still has two thumbs and chose Bigfoot? This guy. Now on that note, our next eerie entry takes us to the land of enchantment. Please welcome Chris from New Mexico to the program. Hey Derek, this is Chris from Albuquerque, New Mexico, calling to report. So this story happened about, I'd say about 11 years ago, maybe 12 years given. And it involves a couple of UFO sightings I had that year. I live in what's called the Northeast Heights, and we're a lot more closer towards the mountains, especially Sandia and Manzano Mountains. And I had this friend named Nick, who I always hung out with. He's one of my best friends and closest friends I've known for over 10 years. We were outside. We just got back from the store. I don't remember what we went for, but we were at the grocery store for something, and we were talking outside. And as we're talking outside, this is about 5 p.m., and around that time is when the sunset started to go down. And as this was happening, I noticed that there's this crazy looking red, purplish glow coming directly above us. And Nick noticed it and he's all, what the hell is that? Is that a road flare or a flare? Like, and that's what the initial thought is, because if you think about a flare, it has the same kind of glow and color to it. But as we started looking at it, we started walking down the street to try and get a better view because it started getting blocked by the trees it started growing inside. And then all of a sudden it was so massive, it like expanded and then all of a sudden just shrunk and then boom, it was gone like a bullet, just completely straight out of the sky, almost like it shot itself towards the sun. We were so baffled, but also excited because we always wanted to have a UFO sighting to happen to us. Cause I mean, we have plenty of ghost stories and crazy things like that, but Never have we ever came across UFOs until that very day, or night, I should say. Now, fast forward about six months later, me and the same friend are out on my balcony. And my balcony is a two-story patio, and it's facing, like, in the middle. you got the left side of the, uh, having the city and the right side having the mountain. And I noticed that there are these four glowing orange orbs above the, the Sandia Mountains. And I was like, Nick, check that out. And he's looking, he's like, what the hell? And these things started dancing. I mean, these orbs were moving, like just corresponding, going diagonally, going around. And then all of a sudden they start disappearing and reappearing, disappearing, reappearing. It was like a video game. You just saw these things just appear and reappear, reappear, reappear. And the other three disappeared while the fourth one came back out again. It was brighter than usual. And then it just dissolved. Like you can actually see this thing dissolve, like as if you threw an Alka-Seltzer tablet in the water. It looked just like that, and then it was just gone. We didn't see anything for us the night, but we just thought it was strange. And it could be military-related only because it is 
in the area where our bases are at. But we just thought it was very, very strange to, to see that kind of aircraft. But hope you can use the story. Uh, hope it has some interest to you. I'll definitely be calling back with even more stories, as I said before, because I have plenty of them. Uh, have a good one. Take care. Thanks, Chris. Well, it certainly sounds like an intriguing encounter. And the fact that these events unfolded in the state of New Mexico is certainly not lost on me. That state claims some of the gnarliest reports over the past century. The Roswell crash, the Aztec crash, Dulce underground base, and recently the American Airlines flight over the Cactus State. They had a near miss with an odd, unidentified object. Now it certainly is an impressive resume. So thanks, Chris, for adding your story to your state's strange legacy. Now, if you have a story like this one or any other true paranormal encounter, please consider calling our toll-free hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast forward slash report your sighting for more submission options. Now, next up, we venture over to the Gulf where we hear from Autumn. Hi, my name is Autumn, and I'm calling from the Gulf Coast to tell a story about a dream premonition I had when I was little. I had this dream of this house. It was an older house, two-story, and it had a giant glass garden room, little atrium, sunroom thing on the side of the house directly attached and I remember being in a room in the house where these horrible looking ghosts and spirits they just came out of like this grandfather clock and they swirled the room and I couldn't find my way out of the house and as a little child it was pretty terrifying but just a dream without any type of like real world context. No, I, you know, I'd never been to this location or anything. I didn't even think it was real, just something that my imagination, you know, dreamed up. And the following day, I was riding in the car and my mother was bringing my father to work at a house. And we pull up and I kid you not, this is the same exact home that I had in my dream. Never seen it before in my life. And it just shook me to my core, and I, I didn't know what to say. So my dad got out of the car, went inside, and I told my mom in that moment, Hey, Mom, um, there's ghosts in this house. I had a dream about it. I think there's ghosts in this house. And I think my mom played it off pretty well without getting too freaked out. Oh, you know, it's just a dream, or, oh, that's strange. And... Well, she seemed to play it off. I was just terrified. I felt something was wrong. I didn't want my dad to be in there. But anyway, that was a very weird occurrence <laughs> that I had as a little girl. And I wanted to share it. I've heard a few, you know, dream stories on your podcast, of the podcast. And that's my little contribution. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Autumn. You know, the story reminds me of something my brain stored away some 30 years ago. It was an interview with an up-and-coming country artist named Garth Brooks. In it, he was talking about the music video for the 1989 hit, If Tomorrow Never Comes. Now, I was unable to find this particular clip, but I'll summarize from my aging memory. Now, When Garth and then-wife Sandy moved to Nashville, they drove around looking for houses they dreamed of buying. They both fell in love with a little place in the country outside of town. Now, months or maybe even years later, when Brooks arrived on location for the aforementioned music video, he was shocked to learn it was the exact same house. He spoke as if there was some sort of connection. I guess it's not quite the same, but my mind went straight to that loose connection. So thanks, Autumn, for taking the time to share your tale. Mr. Pop. Eat. Tonight's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Most of you know by now that I've personally struggled with depression, trauma, and grief. 
I suffered in silence for a long time. But I can tell you now that speaking to a professional not only helped, but it gave me the tools I need to move forward and prioritize my mental health. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who is right for you. You can connect in a safe, convenient, and private online environment from the comfort of your own home. And you can start communicating in under 48 hours upon signing up. Now, not only can you send messages to your counselor at any time, but you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Now, we all know traditional therapy can be expensive. So thankfully, BetterHelp is more affordable and financial aid is also available. Now, BetterHelp's counselors specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, and much more. And you can rest assured that anything you share is completely confidential. Now join over 1 million people who have already taken charge of their mental health by visiting BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Monsters Among Us. As an MAU listener, you get 10% off of your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Monsters Among Us. And as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to the spooky stuff. So what are your thoughts on shadow entities? Are they ghosts, aliens, ultra-dimensional travelers? You know, whatever you want to label them as. Jay from California has a story about one. Hi, my name is Jay. I live in California. My story is when I was stationed in Virginia... I rented a house, and things started to get really weird. started to hear footsteps upstairs while we were sitting downstairs. Candle got thrown upstairs when my ex-wife and I were arguing with each other. I actually got to the point where I was used to it. Uh, it didn't really bother me. All my military friends wanted to come over and do uh, paranormal investigations in my house, but, you know, my ex-wife did not allow that but my story is the night of hurricane sandy my house was in virginia beach i was by myself sitting downstairs just kind of watching the storm and uh for some reason i just kind of got up and when i walked up uh, i was down in the living room there's a hallway and when i turn in the hallway the stairs go up towards the back of the hallway and this black cloud shot down the stairs, came straight at me through the hallway, and shot left into the kitchen. When I went into the kitchen, it was gone. I was kind of excited because I finally saw it, but at the same time, my brain kind of didn't allow me to believe what I just saw, but I saw it. But that's my story. Just wanted to let you know. I love the show. I listen to it every day while I'm at work. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Man, these things are creepy. And you know there's something extra uncanny about all the little variations of this strange entity. You know, someone really needs to do a classification or taxonomy of this shadowy phenomena. I know I'd certainly be interested in those results. Thanks again, Jay, for sharing. Now I know those stimulus checks are burning holes in some pockets. So why not stimulate your favorite show's merchandise shop by visiting monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. You know, there's so much to choose from. From shirts, hats, and mugs to packs, patches, and posters. And don't forget that proceeds from both autographed by yours truly posters go to the Navajo Water Project. A nonprofit bringing running water to those in need, beginning with our friends at the Navajo Nation. So that's monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. And as always, thank you for the support. So you know, as things open up and people begin moving around, chances are pretty good that you'll find yourself in a vacation rental sometime soon. And I'm certain I'm not the only one that thinks about what may be lurking in the shadows of these places when we're not around. Well, I at least know. Our next caller knows what I'm talking about. 
Hey, how's it going? I'm a uh, big fan of the podcast. I actually started listening a couple months ago. live in a small area of Pennsylvania, Bucks County. This would have been about 2016. I was working security for a company doing a Tough Mudder event. We went to Massachusetts, and we stayed in a, a bed and breakfast, older Victorian-style home, really, really cool-looking. I uh, took a tour of it. The people there that owned it told us that most of the stuff in there was from this time era, early 1900s, really cool atmosphere. And we went to our room, unpacked, and I noticed there was a mirror, a hairbrush, a picture of a, a family, looked very, very old, black and white. Thought it was really cool, and grabbed the hairbrush, grabbed the mirror, just looking at it. Thought it was really cool to see all the, all the artifacts in the room. Uh, the owner of the house came in, showed us around, and told me that, uh, from his knowledge, the uh, mirror and the brush were there when they bought the place. They didn't really know much about the house. But we were unpacking. We had a good rest of the night, made some food, we're hanging out outside. And we came back in to rest for the night after working. It was probably around, this would have been late September. It was, a, it was cold. It was probably in you know the high 30s, low 40s. It was a, no rain or anything like that. And I was sleeping. Like a normal one, I was sharing the bed with another uh, co-worker, actually. It was a very large-sized bed, and we stuck four of us in there. Now, I don't know what woke me up. It was about 3 a.m., 3.13 on the dot, and something woke me up. Almost felt like a grab at the sheets. Now, I didn't think much of it. I pulled them back over, and I tried to go back to sleep, and I heard this loud banging noise. Now, again, didn't think much of it. figured maybe one of my guys was down on the hall messing around at 3 a.m. And it happened again, and I, I heard a voice. I couldn't really make out what it was saying. It was a female voice. And the bed I physically started to shake. And at this point, my, my heart's racing. I'm getting very freaked out. Didn't really want to move. I actually pulled the covers over my head. Yeah, as a 22-year-old 20, kid at the time, trying to act macho is a little embarrassing, but I pulled the covers over my head as this bed shaking violently. And I, I felt it get really, really cold over top of me. And a pressure, kind of my chest area, almost as if somebody was sitting on it or pushing down. And the bed stopped shaking. I ripped the covers off, and I, I didn't see anything. So I went back to sleep, and I woke back up around 6 in the morning. And something caught my attention when I woke up. And I looked to the corner, and there was a closet. And when we went to sleep, the door was closed. I, I looked over, and it was cracked open. And that drew my attention. And then I turned my head back towards the doorway, and I caught the glimpse of this shadowy white, I don't know if I want to call it a figure, but moving briskly out in the hallway. Uh, me being me, I got up and looked out in the hallway to go look and see what I saw, and there was nothing there. And I went to go return to the bed. I sat back down the bed, trying to wrap my head around what's going on. And I turned back, I, I lay back down in bed, and the closet door slammed shut. So at this point, I'm pretty freaked out, so I fully wake up, go downstairs, a couple of the other guys are awake, have breakfast, tell them what happened. The weird part to this day, and I don't understand, is the person who shared the bed with me slept through the whole night, said he's a, you know, not really a sound sleeper, but he slept through the whole night, didn't feel the bed shake, didn't feel the pressure, he didn't even feel me moving around at all. So just something I always uh, wish I had an explanation to. I do know I was the only one in the room that touched any of the items that were on this dresser, the hairbrush, the mirror, and even the picture itself. Uh, I've never really figured out if anything's ever happened at this house, but it's definitely something that's always stuck with me and has uh, always bothered me a little bit because I never knew what was going on. But appreciate the work. Keep up the podcast. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, sir. You know, it's almost as if the brush and mirror were acting as trigger items. Now, essentially, a trigger item is a historically accurate item from the time the supposed ghost is said to be from. You know, for example, if the ghost in question was rumored to be of a woman killed in the 1980s, you might put a vintage Walkman or chunky shower curtain ring earrings or those massive glasses out in hopes of soliciting some sort of response. The thought being the familiarity encourages the spirit to communicate. But as our caller mentioned, the items had been there for quite some time. So is it possible that the act of him moving the objects triggered something unseen in the building? 
Well, one tip for anyone else in our caller's shoes. It's jonesing to know if they're alone and what they saw. Well, many of these places have guest books. So thumb through next time. See if anyone else mentioned something similar to your experience. And I guess it goes without saying. If you experience something, put it in the book. Thanks again, caller, for taking the time. Now, if you're one of those that simply can't get enough of these terrifying tales, please consider joining us on Patreon. Four bucks a month gets you all the Monsters Among Us Beyond episodes, and bonus content starts at $1 a month. So, visit patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast, pick your level, support the show, and dive into the near 50 available episodes. So on the program, I often talk about repeat offenders. Now these are folks that seem to be a magnet for this type of activity, and as a result have submitted several different personal accounts. Well, not only is our next guest a repeat offender, but he is most likely the leader in the number of stories submitted. David from Massachusetts. Welcome back to the show. Hello, Derek. Addie and friends. My name is David. I'm 60 years old and I live just outside of Boston, Mass. I'd like to share an experience I had way back in the summer of 1972. As a young teenager, I used to spend my summers up in a small town in Maine, halfway between Augusta and Camden. My parents had a cabin which was about a quarter of a mile down the road from my older brother's farmhouse. The two properties combined had a big old barn an orchard with over 80 apple trees, lake frontage, and 200 acres of land, which was mostly dense woods. Every summer, my mom would let me invite a friend from school. That summer, my friend Frank came to visit for a few weeks. Both of us had a blast, being 12 years old and not a care in the world. Frank and I slept on cots in the screened-in front porch of the cabin, while my mom had her own bedroom. It was just getting dark around 9 p.m. one night, when Frank and I were hanging out on the porch when we noticed something glowing in the woods across the street. At first, it looked like something was on fire, so we went inside to get my mom. For roughly the next 30 minutes, the three of us stood on the porch watching what appeared to be between the size of a basketball and a large beach ball. It kept changing color from orange to yellow to white over and over again. Here's where it gets really strange. It was floating about 10 feet off the ground as it moved slowly roughly 100 feet to the left and then to the right. It would also come towards us and back away again about 100 feet at a time. From where we were standing on the porch, it was roughly 100 yards in the woods, all while making absolutely no sound at all. As weird as this was, I don't recall feeling scared at the time. If anything, the three of us were mystified and confused that we had no idea what this thing was. Mind you, there were no power lines, trails, or anything in the area of this object, just the dense woods. At this point, my mom tried calling my brother next door, only to find the phone was dead. She then told me and Frank to take our bikes and go get him. It now had become pitch black, and again, his house was down the road a bit. I never bicycled so fast in my life. We got my brother and drove past the woods, only to see nothing. It was gone. We even drove over to a parallel road about a mile away to see if we could see it, only to see nothing but the dark woods. A few minutes later, when we returned to the cabin, the telephone was working again. Go figure. All these years later, I wonder why we never thought to check out the area the next day. It was like we had just turned the page and moved on. Now as an adult, I would give anything to go back in time to see it all again. Thanks, Derek and Addie, for everything you do. Monsters Among Us rocks. Thank you, David. As always, I thoroughly enjoy hearing about your encounters. Now, if I had to guess, this sounds like a very real and still quite mysterious phenomenon known as ball lightning. Now, I'm sure you've heard of this strange phenomenon, but here is a segment courtesy of the Weather Channel to act as a refresher. Nobody knows what ball lightning is. I mean, understanding normal lightning is difficult enough, but ball lightning is something t- entirely different. Yet it has been seen by thousands of people all over the world. 
and their descriptions are strikingly consistent. Most people describe ball light lightning as being about the same size and brightness as a 60 watt light bulb. So suppose you're sitting in your living room and there's a thunderstorm outside. You look out your window and you see this floating along outside your window. You then see it comes through the glass into your living room, approaches you, and then suddenly either exploding or quietly disappears. That's how people describe ball lightning. Now I often cringe when UFOs are automatically written off as ball lightning. So I'll try not to do that here. But, based on some example videos I found in my research, the color, shape, size, and behavior of ball lightning all seem to match the object in David's story. And of course, as always, I was not there. So this is merely a suggestion. But besides that, I'd consider witnessing ball lightning equally as rare as catching a UFO in the sky. It's exciting stuff either way. So thanks as always, David. Yeah, Chicken to clock, I think I have time to squeeze one more story in before tonight's finale. So please welcome our anonymous caller from the state of Illinois to the program. Hello, I do want to stay anonymous on this call, but the story takes place in Illinois. I was probably about 10 or 12. I was really young and we had a pool and me and my dad, um, we would just hang out outside there all the time and just kind of listen to music and things of that sort, you know, just enjoying our pool area at our home. And one night, it was during the summer and it was starting to get dark out, it was sunset. And me and my dad were just, you know, up looking at the sky and what we saw and I mean, my only honest rendition of what we saw was a pterodactyl, I guess is what we could call it. It was red and it was just flying around. And I would say we was probably flying east. And yeah, you know, me and my dad both kind of were just like, you know, what was that? And we didn't really have a reason or, you know, what it was. And we didn't really talk to anybody about it because, I mean, how do you explain to somebody that's what you saw? But it was red, it was really big, it was flying pretty low. If I was standing on top of our house, we had a two-story house, I probably wouldn't have been able to touch it, but it was low enough for me to be like, that's definitely what I saw. So yeah, that's my story, I'm sticking to it. I've heard other people on the podcast kind of call and say they've seen stuff like that. I don't know if they've necessarily said the color. But yeah, it was red, it was flying, and it was probably one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. So that's that. Thank you, I love the podcast. Bye. Thank you, caller. Now I find it super interesting that this story takes place in the state of Illinois, home of the Illini people, whom tell of a monster. The following was pulled from a website local to the town of Alton, Illinois, altonweb.com. The Piasaw Bird is a local legend in the Alton area. Its foundings go back to 1673 when Father Jacques Marquette in recording his famous journey down the Mississippi River with Louis Jolette, described the Piasaw as a bird-like monster painted high on the bluffs along the Mississippi River, where the city of Alton, Illinois, now stands. According to the diary, the Piasaw was large as a calf with horns like a deer, red eyes, a beard like a tiger's, a face like a man, the body covered with green, red, and black scales, and a tail so long it passed around the body, over the head, and between the legs. The creature was given its name by the Illini Indians, the Piasa, meaning a bird that devours men. Now I also find it interesting that both our caller's creature and the Piasa bird itself are both said to be red in color. Now for more info on this, or to get a look at the modern mural on the cliffs outside Alton, and to learn the story behind it, check out Terror in the Skies, a documentary by the Small Town Monsters crew. And last I checked, it was still streaming on Amazon Prime. Well, I certainly can't say that what our caller saw was the Piasaw Bird, or even that the Piasaw Bird ever existed. But dare I say, stranger things have happened. Thanks again, caller, for calling in. Well, folks, we did it. We braved our way past the Wendays, ghosts, and even a living dinosaur. All to reach this point, our final entry on the evening. And, as I do, 
I saved a doozy for last. So Andy, if you will, please tell us what happened. Hi, my name's Andy Stone and I'm from York, UK. And my wife's asked me to record an event that happened to me around six years ago in our home. A little bit about me first. I don't believe in anything weird going on. I'm, you know, I played rugby for 25 years. I've always considered myself, you know, a toughish kind of bloke. If there was a noise anywhere in a house, in our house, I'd be straight upstairs thinking it was a cat or something like that. Uh, I like to investigate. I, I don't believe much in paranormal or things like that. But my wife's asked me to tell you about the events that happened to me. It was around six years ago. And we'd just had our fourth child, um, Florence. And we live in a four-bedroomed townhouse in York... Uh, the house was built around 1934 and it's built over three floors, four bedrooms and right upstairs in the top of the house Sarah was sleeping with Florence. She'd not long been born and I was at work the following day and I thought I'd go and get in one of the beds in one of the spare bedrooms on the first floor. I got into bed, uh, just like you do, and I was laid there. The light was off. The, the door was ajar, actually, because we had three other children and I wanted to keep my ear out for them. And the light was coming in through the door from the landing. So it was, like, dimly lit, but quite dark. And I was laid on my left-hand side, looking out into the room. The room's about... It's not a very big room. It's about 12 foot by 8 foot, as in a single bed, against the wall. So I was laid on my left side and I could see most of the room... I thought there was something in the room with me at first, and I thought, yeah, is it one of the children? I knew it wasn't. And then, all of a sudden, I saw something move from about two or three feet away from my head, as if it was walking down the room, like a, a shape. I watched it. It stopped towards the end of the bed, about two or three feet away from the end of the bed, turned round, and it came back. It walked and stopped again near where my head was, now, the strange thing about this was, I'd never seen anything like it in my life. I wasn't scared, but it was like pixelated, like the Predator movie. It just looked like that, but about maybe four and a half feet tall, perhaps. About the size of maybe an eight-year-old or something like this. And it just looked strange. It was the shape of a child, basically. But it was pixelated. I knew my eyes weren't playing tricks on me. Uh, I was awake. I was certainly awake. I wasn't scared. I was just watching it, watching it carefully. And it walked down the bed again for the second time, side of the bed. And it turned round and came back up. And then it paused near me. And then it set off again. It started walking down the side of the bed and stopped. And as it turned round to come back up the other way, I thought to myself, when it gets next to the bed, near my face, near my head, just a few feet away... I'm going to grab it. I'm going to reach out and grab it. And sure enough, this pixelated shape came up up the side of the bed. And as it got near me, within arm's reach, I reached out as fast as I could and tried to grab it. And it just disappeared instantly. The following day, I came downstairs and told my wife. And she couldn't understand what I meant by it was pixelated and... You could see through it and it was like shimmering. And she'd never, she, she was like, oh, blimey, I've never heard of anything like that. Until recently when she's been listening to your shows. And since hearing this, I think they call it the Glimmer Man or something, um, she's asked me to give you my account. And, and there it is. That's exactly what happened to me. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Andy. And a big thanks to the missus for encouraging you to submit. Now there it is, folks. He grabbed a glimmer man. Or something like it. Now we've heard reports of a static-like entity in recent episodes. So maybe it was something like that. Is it possible these two are one and the same? And you know, this is one of those rare accounts where the glimmer man, if that's what we want to call it, was witnessed indoors. Now that detail really intrigued me, so I did some digging and managed to find another, quite similar encounter courtesy of Phantoms and Monsters and Beyond Explanation on YouTube. 
Now, the following witness is a 36-year-old military police veteran. Last night, I'm pretty sure I saw the damn glimmer man. Now, any other night, my girlfriend and I would have went to bed at the same time, but I end up staying up later due to having to get my daughter from work late. I got home and stayed up until around 1 a.m., went through my usual routine, checked the doors and windows to make sure they were locked and then laid down. I usually toss and turn throughout the night, fully waking up for a few minutes before going back to sleep. I sleep on the end of the bed furthest away from the bedroom door. I have blackout curtains over my window so my corner of the room is very dark. Our neighbor leaves her porch lights on so some light pours in through our window. On my girlfriend's side she prefers to have a little light shine through. On her bedside table she plugs in her phone so you can see the light periodically shine when a notification comes in. As I turned over to face her side of the room, that's when I saw it. It had to be at least six or seven feet tall maybe, and wide. I say that because as my girlfriend's phone notification light illuminated the corner next to the head of the bed, I could see its right hand shoulder, arm, and a little bit of its side. From what I could see especially in the shoulder area it looks like it had on some kind of, I know this sounds silly but small shoulder pads. Nothing big like football pads, but imagine baseball knee pads on your shoulder. Like that. When the light hit it. It did have that predator look to it with slight glimpses of reds, blues, and purples maybe. Just like it was somehow bending light. I couldn't see the legs, chest or face area cause I guess the light wasn't strong enough to reach it. What was even more scary is that it was moving while standing next to my girlfriend like it was touching her in some way. It would seemingly reach over to her nightstand and grab things, and then turn back to her. Doing all of this pretty fast. I laid there completely frozen. Jumping up crossed my mind then I quickly decided not to. If this is real I don't know the risks. Is this thing capable of reacting? Would I upset it and something more severe could happen? From what I could see my girlfriend was sound asleep. The whole full sighting lasted about two minutes. From there I closed my eyes and began to say the Lord's Prayer over and over again until I couldn't see it and got the courage to roll over. Needless to say I slept like crap last night. I probably won't mention this to my girlfriend. It wouldn't help the situation any, and I feel like the less she knows the better. Either this thing is real or all of us that have seen it or something like it are going insane. Hell. They said that about UFOs and look what happened. Apparently they're out there too. DP. So, there you go. It's a similar description. The behavior is also similar. But what is it? Would DP have experienced the same result as Andy if he attempted to confront it? And if it can disappear at will, why bother with a camouflage at all? No, unfortunately, I don't think I'm much help here. I bet I have just as many questions as you do. But as I keep saying, each time a story and or connection like this is shared, that improves our odds of solving one of these wild mysteries. So help us in casting that net and share Monsters Among Us podcast with someone you think would enjoy it today. Until then, thanks again, Andy, for the entry. And please let us know if you stumble upon any further info, or if, God forbid, the thing comes back. And that's going to do it for tonight's episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. If you like the show, you'll love our social media platforms. You can find us on Reddit, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And that terrifying score you heard this evening. Well, it's co.ag music and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Continue to stay safe. And until next time.
Now tonight's bonus entry comes to us from another repeat offender. A few seasons back, he shared a story about a fuzzy alligator that lived in a storm drain in a Pittsburgh suburb. So please welcome Neil from Pennsylvania back to the show. Hey, uh, Derek, this is Neil from outside of Pittsburgh. So I've called him once before, but that's not important. This happened back in like 1993, 1995, I'm thinking. It was night kind of like now, warm out, but it was getting dark out. And my younger brother and I were kind of like, where, uh, we wonder where our mother was. Because she didn't leave the house when it was dark out. So we kind of thought maybe she was out taking a walk or something up at the high school because they had a track. So we decided to head up to the track and see if she was there. Just a, you know, a couple of sons worried about their mom, that kind of thing. We leave the house and we lived across the street from a church. So we found our mom in the church parking lot speaking to our priest. So we come along and we just kind of, you know, hey mom, hey father, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we're there, we're just kind of listening to the conversation and, you know, not really adding too much. It's actually dark at this point. So the other thing about where we live is we actually live pretty close to the Pittsburgh International Airport. So we're constantly seeing airplanes day and night. I look up at the sky and I see these lights flying in our direction. Now, in the front was three red lights in a triangular shape with the point, the point of the triangle is in the direction that it's moving. And behind it is a white triangle that's a little bit bigger than a red triangle. And it's moving in the same direction. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, is this two different planes of the same size, but moving at different altitudes? Because that's basically what it looked like. I mean, there were, the white one was significantly bigger than the red triangle. So I'm kind of watching it and I'm like, no, they, that couldn't be what it is because they were two different planes at different altitudes. You know, they would diverge at some point and these were static. They were moving like they were one, one piece. So I'm kind of watching it and I'm like, what? I'm trying to figure out what it is. We do live near a air refueling wing. It's the uh, 511th, I believe. So that was my next thought was that maybe it was a refueling plane with a plane that's being refueled behind it. But then I'm like, that wouldn't make sense either because refueling planes are pretty big. And the red triangle, which is the triangle that was in front, was much smaller than the white triangle. And as far as I know, and maybe someone out there who is in the Air Force would know better than I would, the refueling plane is usually in front. You know, the, the refueling plane would be in the front and the plane getting the fuel would be behind it. So I'm watching it and I'm trying to figure out what the heck this thing is. And right about as it's about to come right over top, right overhead of us, the priest is like, okay, it's time for me to go. Good night, guys. And I, I shook his hand, said good night. And I was like, hey, guys, look at this thing. And I look right up. And at this point, it's right above us. And the red triangle had rotated so that now the point of the triangle was facing behind of it. So in other words, it used to be one red light in the front, two red lights in the back. Now it's two red lights in the front, one red light in the back. And the white triangle was now two lights in a row behind the point of the red triangle. So you had two red lights leading, one red light in the middle, a little bit behind and between those two, and then two big white lights behind that back point of the red, red triangle. And this one is right over top of us. And me and my brother and my mother all watched this thing flying right over top of us. I didn't see this so much, but my brother said it looked like there was like a dark shadow around it. There was no noise. Because that was my other thought was maybe it was like a balloon or a, a blimp, I mean. But just thought it was a cool story and wanted to share it with you guys. All right. Have a good day. Talk to you later. Love your show. Bye. Thanks, Neil. You know, speaking of that fuzzy gator, my dad has a delivery route that takes him near that area once a week. And not long ago, he happened to catch some local DJ talking about the fuzzy gator on the radio. Now, unfortunately, he doesn't recall the station, but if you're local and you know what he's talking about and have access to some info, I'd love to hear about it. Now, as for Neil's entry, reports of strange hovering triangles are certainly popular these days. Just a week or so ago, the Pentagon confirmed images that seemed to show just 
such a craft. In night vision video from a Navy destroyer, a mysterious flying triangle above the deck of the ship. The Pentagon confirming the images obtained by documentary filmmaker Jeremy Corbell were taken by Navy personnel, expected to be a part of a report on unidentified aerial phenomenon to be presented to Congress this summer. Already online, some skeptics say the images are caused by cameras trying to focus, but some of the objects go beyond just flying in the sky. Now that clip is courtesy of today. Now of all the recent UFO or UAP footage to be released over the past years, this one seems to impress me the least. But even the most hardened of skeptics has to begin questioning the possibility that something else might be here with us. The rest of the evidence is overall quite convincing. But something tells me there's plenty more to come. I doubt we've heard the biggest announcement yet. So thanks, Neil, for sharing your entry. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a good night. <laughs>